When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, the first one in the month of February. Today's podcast is being recorded on Friday, February 8th. It's originating from Tech Sideline's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. We're pleased to be joined by Tech Sideline founder, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman, as we do each and every week. Thanks so much for listening on, whether it's SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, wherever you happen to get your podcast, or you're watching live on Facebook. Thanks so much for starting off your weekend right by listening into Tech Sideline. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? I'm doing well. Fantastic. 74 degrees yesterday. Yeah, out in shorts and a polo I was for the last three days. Borderline flip-flop weather. Borderline. But it was beautiful the last week in Blacksburg. Chris went home and watched, watched his car. but I, I, I was going to wash my car, but everybody in Blacksburg decided to wash their car, too. <laughs> so I would have been in line for an hour, you so my car did not get washed. Right. And now we're back on Friday, and it's a lot colder today than it was the last three days. It's like 45, the wind's howling, and now it seems like it's typical uh, Blacksburg weather in February. But it is a little bit of a tease. And speaking of a tease, let's go ahead and talk about what we're going to be discussing on today's podcast. A lot to get to. We're going to begin talking in just a moment about Virginia Tech's signing period in February. A lot to get to. We'll be talking about the guys up front, the offensive line, and the impact that this class could be making on Virginia Tech football moving forward. We'll discuss men's basketball. We'll recap the Louisville game on Monday. That's in the past. We'll be more so looking forward to Clemson and the upcoming games for Virginia Tech next week. And we'll have our fun Facebook Live uh, group question, which we'll be able to have a lot of our viewers kind of tune in and discuss. As we talked about last week, top five players you ever saw in person for Virginia Tech. So we've got a great one planned for you today on the Tech Sideline Podcast, which is each and every week proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031. Again, that's 1-800-680-7031, or email them at info at fisherlegal.com. So let's jump right into it, and let's talk about what this last week has meant for Virginia Tech football and its recruiting class, which currently has the Hokies, the third best recruiting class in the ACC, mm-hmm. the best in the Coastal. And I think that this week really shows kind of the, the light at the end of the tunnel with so much things going on, the transfer report of the last couple of weeks. This has been a highlight, a positive for Coach Fuente and his staff, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think when Fuente first got here, well, let me back up a little bit. You know, recruiting these days is – it's a long-term process for a lot of these kids. And the staff has been recruiting Doug Nestor since he was 14 years old. So basically they've been recruiting Doug Nestor since they first got to Virginia Tech. And so when you come in your first couple classes, you don't necessarily have two, three years or four years to build a relationship with those guys. And from the standpoint of 
Power Five offers, this was easily Fuente's uh, best recruiting class. I think Tech's high school signees this year averaged well over 11 Power Five offers uh, per recruit, and, and that, last year was eight-something. Yeah, it was yeah. 8.6 last year. So every, everybody talks about there's there's inflation of Power Five offers. Right. Yes, there is, but not that not much that in much. one year. Right. You know, regardless of what has been an inflation in non-committable offers, you know, I think the stats out there that Tennessee extended, and I'll use air quotes here, 400 <laughs> offers last year, which is completely ridiculous. They're not all committable. Uh, you know, that said, going from 8.6 to over 11 is, is a big jump in one year. Yeah, it's a big jump in one year. And when you look at the fact that Elijah Bowick and Jacoby Pinckney were their top two outside re- receivers on their board from the very beginning, uh, Robinson was their number one slot receiver on their board from the very beginning. And they got all three of those guys, plus Payute. Payute, that's our that's Payute how it's pronounced. Is how it's you a fun name it, to say, it, by the it's, way. It's not payout. We thought it was payout. Payute. For, Which would also be a fun way to uh, yeah, pronounce it. It, it, it would be. be. But uh, at any rate, uh, and on paper, it's the best offensive line recruiting class Virginia Tech has ever signed. Um, so I think they've, they've, they've certainly made some strides, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll, let's just jump right into it. Obviously, the big storyline for those who have not been following it is a Doug Nestor, four-star offensive lineman, has been committed to Ohio State since 2016. August of 2017. 17. And essentially, after Urban Meyer retired, he op- reopened his recruiting and decided to come to Virginia Tech. He's from uh, just outside of Marshall in West Virginia is where his hometown. He's from Huntington, I believe. He's listed as being from Huntington, but he's actually a little outside Huntington. So just outside Huntington, and the Hokies are able to flip a guy, a talented guy going to Ohio State. That created a lot of buzz to go along with the already great offensive line recruiting class they already had. This seems like the cherry on top. When you look at what this recruiting class could mean for Tech moving forward, two or three years down the road. How do you think we look back on this? Uh, well, I think you got to look at the offensive line. Um, Nestor, so the databases, uh, the recruiting databases that you see online started with rivals in 2000. Um, and so this, the data I'm about to discuss goes back to 2000. Um, Nestor is the highest rated offensive lineman Virginia Tech has ever signed in the age of you know, re- recruiting databases. And uh, um, Brian Hudson is the fifth highest rated. Now, it's an interesting list. It includes uh, um, Aaron Brown, who did not work out here at Virginia Tech, Trip Carroll, who also didn't work out. You know, people talk about Trip having injuries, and I think that was part of it. But I, I also think Trip was one of those guys that just. He said it himself in a BeamerBall.com interview when he uh, finished his career, when he decided not to play anymore. He said, yeah, I was hurt, but looking back, I just wasn't very good. And some guys, they peak in high school, right? you know, and, and you know, offensive line are some of, some of the hardest to project. Vinston Painter is on that list. Painter uh, didn't play until his basically senior year. He didn't year, start right? until he yeah, was a senior. Yeah, didn't start until his senior. That, that dude was a specimen. And he went to the NFL. Yeah, and he so. did play in the NFL some, and Lawrence Gibson also. Gibson came through Fork Union, right? I believe it was – it was might have been Hargrave. It was one of those. Yeah, one of those so I was interested when I thought about, you know, great offensive linemen in tech history, and one name that jumped out to me was Dwayne Brown. I'm curious where he was coming out of high school. He was a tight end. See, that's a good and question. He, and he played tight end as a – he caught a touchdown pass one time in a game as a tight end. Yeah, yeah right. he, he did not move to offensive line until about two weeks before the NC State game, the opening game of his redshirt sophomore year. When uh, – yeah. Two, what year was that? 2005. 2005. Yeah, so yeah, that, that, that NC State game 
Remember the opener against NC State? Yeah. Marcus Vick's first game as Virginia Tech starting quarterback. You know, Dwayne Brown's in there starting an offensive tackle, and he'd only been practicing there for two weeks. Mm. Well, it's so interesting because he, he you look at what he's doing now in the NFL, he's one of the top, and, and, and that's incredible. He started as a tight end. We've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm not an NFL guy, but I did tune into a – Texans game one time, I think it was who he was playing for. I don't, I don't even know. He he's plays playing. for Seahawks now, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? He got traded, I believe, from the he's Texans. Pl- he's playing for the Texans, and I watched him. I watched him in isolation, and he just demoralized the defensive end. <laughs> he was blocking. The guy didn't know what to do. So we would have to go back and look up. Although I don't think Dwayne Brown would have, would crack that top five, even if you no no he was, he was a three offense. he was a three star recruit yeah so he's a, you know he's a decent now player. these days keep in mind back then recruiting was a lot different. Like, I always say James Anderson would be a four-star recruit these days and had 20 offers because he would have gone to all these camps and run in front of coaches and things like that. But back then, he was just a two-star recruit because not that many people were paying attention to players in the state of Virginia. Uh, All these individual camps didn't exist and everything. So, Dwayne Brown, I think he was class of 2003. He was was in that class. Yep. With with, uh, Xavier D.B. and and Vince Hall. Chris Ellis. He was was in that class. What a class. These days, I think Dwayne Brown goes to camps up and down the east coast and has offers from penn state and clemson and everybody and he would have been recruited as an offensive lineman the entire time and probably would have been a four-star recruit Uh, so i think it's tougher to find those diamonds in the rough like like Dwayne brown these days than it was back in the day and of course technology is i feel like sometimes all these different conversations we have technology somehow speeds up the process whether it's recruiting or whether it's the transfer portal somehow technology all kind of plays a role that let's go back to this again i I almost want to attack this in a position if you're just kind of getting caught up to speed on what this recruiting class was for virginia tech seven four-star commits Uh, we already knew a lot of them but again the big news this week was that doug nestor flipped from ohio state to virginia tech Putting into perspective for our fans what that process is like, and I know we don't know all the details, but even though he had been verbaled since 2017 to Ohio State, what's that process like for the coaching staff to stay in contact with him, with the NCAA rules, and then how were they able to make this such an easy transition for him from Ohio State to Tech? Well, if a guy is still open to taking visits and is taking visits, obviously he's not committed. Fuente said that exact Fuente thing. said that exact saying during the press conference the other day. So Fuente never considered Nestor to be committed to Ohio State, just like I'm sure he never considered some of our recruits to be committed when they were taking visits to other schools, even if they eventually did sign with Virginia Tech. You don't consider those guys commits if they're out there visiting other schools. It means they're very much uncommitted, and I agree with that, with that take, to be honest with you. Um, but to put it in perspective, I guess, you know, you just don't see Virginia Tech – they don't win last-minute head-to-head battles against Ohio State very often. Now, what they do, and they don't get credit for, is they get in early on a guy like uh, Jaden Payute, get him committed early, then Penn State and Ohio State come in and offer him, and they're, and they're able to fight those schools off. Uh, they don't get enough credit for doing things like that, in my opinion. Like, Payute could be playing for Ohio State or Penn State if he wanted to, but he chose Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech did not necessarily beat them to his commitment, but they kept him committed even after those schools offered because Virginia Tech was the first program to find him. And Eugene Asani was a similar situation, oh. right, where Tech basically discovered him and introduced him yeah. to the world. Yes. You know, and you saw how that turned out. Uh, right, and it's tough on the coaches. And Tech historically, whether it's Fuente's staff or Frank Beamer's staff, have been 
kind of the first team to discover a lot of these guys, the first team to offer a lot of players. And with Frank, it was okay because there was no social media back then. These days, as soon as a guy gets a Virginia Tech offer, they run to Twitter, and, and, now, and then the whole world finds out about it. And there are services that will email the recruiting departments at all the various schools. We, I yeah. can't remember who was talking about this, but um, you know, when Virginia Tech offers somebody, everybody gets informed by, yeah. by whatever service they're using, you know, whether they've got people doing it themselves and just scouring Twitter or the, or the, you know, the recruiting sites. But you just, can't, you just can't keep a secret anymore. Yeah, and it's just one of those dynamics of – among the many dynamics that I think has not gone Virginia Tech's way over the last 10 or 15 years, and whether they're official NCAA rules or whether it's just dynamics. Uh, I don't think the talent is quite as good in Virginia as it used to be. Uh, I, I think uh, some NCAA rules aren't necessarily beneficial to Virginia Tech anymore. Yeah, and we've, we've uh, talked about this I, before. I, Virginia Tech used to uh, get diamonds in the rough, and there aren't any uh, you know guys that are flying under the radar, and in the modern landscape, there really aren't very many guys who do fly under the radar. So everything that helped make Virginia Tech successful in the past is no longer applicable. So it's, you have to find new ways. And to me, it's you know getting more outside the state of Virginia, uh, taking more JUCO guys. Uh, Which they did a great job of this year. Right, absolutely. So continuing on looking at this recruiting class, we talked about Doug Nestor. You've already proclaimed, and I believe Will has too, and many of Hokie Nation have said, this is the best offensive line recruiting class in the history of Tech football. Correct. I mean, Dwight <laughs> <laughs> Vick disagrees. And, uh, yes, he would disagree. But, but uh, Dwight and his guys were pre uh, They, they, they pre were pre-recruiting rankings. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we can't really compare across eras. Uh, I wrote this in a Q&A today which is yet to be posted it'll, it'll, it'll be posted later today uh you can't really re- compare recruiting across eras because it's just you know these days there are 350 about 350 four-star prospects in a class and 10 years ago there were just 250 right so i I, th- I think the recruiting sites are getting a little more generous with their star rankings to a certain extent these days and so i i just it's just a much. I, I think. I think the state of Virginia was underrated as far as recruits goes in the 1990s and early 2000s. So, and Virginia Tech was signing a bunch of guys like James Anderson that turned out to be really good players. And then the recruiting sites were like, "Man, maybe we should start ranking Virginia recruits a lot higher." So they did. Now I think they slightly overrank Virginia recruits. So they have yet to find that happy medium. So uh, I, I don't think they. Uh, I, I don't think you could compare recruiting classes across eras. Uh, although Dwight's right, that that was in hindsight an uh, excellent offensive line recruiting class, probably an excellent two to three offensive line recruiting classes in a row. In a row. Yeah. By the way, he's got a great Twitter. I really, uh, really enjoy Dwight Vick's Twitter. He has great yeah. insight, so I'm glad that he's chiming in and uh, helping us. Uh, well, help, what's, help what's his handle? Is it Vick seven five seven or something like that? It doesn't uh, matter. You can just yeah, search Dwight Vick on yep. Twitter and find it. Can you listen to the Tech Sideline podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, whether you're listening on our podcast or you're watching live on Facebook. Thanks so much for being with us, continuing our conversation about Virginia Tech's offensive line class that is coming in. Let's talk a little bit more in depth than just Doug Nesser because there's a lot more that goes into it. Brian Hudson, a mm-hmm. four-star, six-foot-four, 298-pounder from Scott County, uh, uh, Georgetown. Uh, a couple of other big names on the offensive line: Jesse Hansen, a three-star, six-foot-five, two hundred ninety-five pounds from uh, Lord Bonnetot, not too far away not from far. where our office is here today, uh, and a couple of other um, 
interesting guys to keep an eye on. One guy that I know, and especially I thought Corey Van Dyke did a terrific job of kind of giving him uh, a different perspective and a look to our Tech Sideline viewers. When he won a state championship with Manchester, that's Will Pritchard as a three-star. Mm -hmm. And I believe his high school coach at Manchester formerly played at he Virginia did. Tech. And it really speaks highly about him. So when you hear all of this, Will, I mean, how quickly could we be seeing these guys make impact on Virginia Tech's offensive line? Uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, if, if preferably you like all these guys to redshirt. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they all are. Uh, uh, I think they all – Chris knows the breakdown between guard centers and all that uh, better than I, I, I. You know, maybe Juan will play, but I think in general, I think Tech's done a good job recruiting on the offensive line, and, and I don't see more than one play, and maybe none at all. And part of it's dependent upon, you know, there's there's a kid in the transfer portal out of Central Michigan? No. No, that's Co a defensive that's end. That's a defensive uh, The Coastal Carolina, Carolina offensive lineman, Brock Hoffman, that um, – Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but they feel Hoffman is a guy that if he transferred in, he could, could, could start it. Yeah, so. he started as a true freshman at center for Coastal With Carolina. Apologies, Jeremy, and I, I know a lot of people say, oh, it's just Coastal Carolina or whatever, but uh, I'd rather have him than not have him. Yeah. Um, and, and the, you know, I, I don't think Virginia Tech will be his only FBS option. So where I see this, you know, you're talking two, three, four years down the road. And it's going to be timed fairly well. You know, if Quincy Patterson develops as a quarterback and into the guy they want him to be, this is all going to be happening at about the same time. You know how crammed of wide receivers they're getting. So <laughs> it, that's, that's coming. Yeah, yeah. That's so, on the agenda for today. Um, it's, it's, it's a little worrisome. It's interesting because OxVT on, on Twitter puts out a chart, and he ranks all of the recruits in the coastal division. Hmm. One to whatever. And that's just based on recruiting rankings by – 24-7 sports. Um, and when you look at where the Virginia Tech guys fall, it's basically three columns, and Virginia Tech's offensive recruits are the guys that tend to go to the left and be higher rated, and the defensive recruits are in the middle and to the right. So that's a little concerning that they're not – like <laughs> I tell people all the time, if Virginia Tech was recruiting defensive tackles and defensive ends as well as they're recruiting offensive linemen and wide receivers, <laughs> I'd be freaking out. I'd be going crazy because that would be really good news for the future of the program. Now, that doesn't mean the guys that, that, they're, that they're recruiting and, and the JUCOs they're backfilling with and some of the young defensive linemen they have won't work out. We'll see. But um, if you could pick, everybody wants good offensive and defensive lines. But if push came to shove and I could really pick one unit I wanted to be really good, it would be the offensive line because you can – even if your defense isn't top-notch, you can demoralize teams by just working them with an offensive line and running on them late in the game, that sort of w thing. Winning the battle up front in the trenches. and In that trench. And I, I think offensive line, it's harder to recruit on the offensive line than any, than any other position because there's just not that many 300 to 320-pound guys who can move their feet that well. Uh, and so if you have a really good offensive line, uh, I think most of college football has average to below average to bad offensive lines. Uh, you know, I, I don't sit here and watch every team play, but but I bet maybe only 25% of college football has what you would describe as a good or better offensive line. And if Virginia Tech can be in that top 25%, I, I think that would, be, that, that, would, that would be huge. Uh, and, you know, I, I think back in the day, you saw Virginia Tech with be able to recruit quarterbacks and, and running backs, but they couldn't really recruit wide receivers. Uh, now you're seeing them been able to be able to recruit 
wide receivers and offensive linemen, but they struggle with running backs to a, to a certain extent. So, you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect. I mean, uh, I, I, except for your national elite, uh, I think very few teams out there have balanced classes like that and are strong at recruiting every single position. I just think it kind of depends on maybe the background of the coaches and what they've shown to be good at in the past and everything like that. Well, you talk about coaches, and that kind of leads me into our next discussion, uh, and that is Vance Vice. Yeah. I, I saw this tweet on signing day, and it was a gif, and I think you guys might have liked it or saw it, but it was a gif of uh, someone said, this is a live look at Vance Vice look at walking in the office, and I think it's the uh, – Vince McMahon, right? It is Vince McMahon, you're right, and, and he's uh, Strut- well, oh, well, no, I saw one where uh, it was Belichick. Uh, except it was uh, except they, except <laughs> the, hi, the high five thing in Detroit. Oh, except they had uh, they had. Oh, this wasn't Vance Vice actually. This this was Belichick, and they had. Uh, but it's still funny, so I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was it was voiced over from uh, WWE, like Jim Ross. It's got Stone Cold Steve Austin's music, like you know he'd walk all intense to the ring and everything like that. So uh, it had the the, the wrestling play by play. And then, except it was Belichick walking out on the field in Detroit, and these were there was little kids wanting high fives from him, and he just walks by him and ignores him with this intense look. <laughs> when on he his gave face. him that stare down, just oh. like Stone Cold used to do when he when he took the uh, but, took to the ring, man. There, there is no doubt those are all fun natured tweets, and rightfully so because if anybody really gets a lot of credit, Coach Fuente, I thought did a great job of really explaining how recruiting works for his coaches and how they kind of all have their jobs and. They, they're really um, – it's their job to go out and recruit and get guys, and he gives them a lot of that power. And Vance Vice, I mean, Will, you tell me, did he – it feels like to me he hit a home run. Yeah, he did, and he's a guy <laughs> – he's a guy we weren't sure about. People joke about him wearing trash bags because he's got the shiny silver rubber suit. And he likes to wear the backwards cap. And you never know – in the beginning, you never know – Am I getting an awesome guy with a lot of character, or am I getting some weirdo that's going to be a complete flop? You know? <laughs> and, I, and I think the evidence is starting to mount that he's, uh, and Chris has written about this, that he's a good evaluator of talent, you know, Janzy. And, and, and by the way, it is pronounced Janzy. It's spelled D-Z-A-N-S-I. It's Silas Janzy and Christian Darasaw were guys that, uh, that Vance Vice recruited that not a lot of other people Nobody wanted. They did not have a single FBS offer that yeah. I can remember. And, and those guys are, are, are panning out pretty well so far. Right. And so, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. But uh, I also read that, uh, I, and we, we read so much, it's, it's hard for me to remember who said what. But one of the recruits talked about, um, or one of, our, one of Virginia Tech's current offensive linemen, talked about how Vice is one of those guys that can get on you, but can, can also recognize when you're doing something good, be the guy to give you a hug, all that stuff, you know, that – Players need everything, you know. They they need their coaches in a lot of cases to be like parents, not to be a you know pardon me hard ass all the time, and not to be a pushover, but to be both, you know. And and the words getting out that, that Vice is one of those guys that's good at establishing relationships and rapport with his players. Vice is getting a lot of credit right now. I think the credit should have started two to three years ago. Um, but yeah, because those Virginia Tech offensive tackles who started as freshmen this past year, nobody wanted them, and he recognized them and put them in Fork Union for a year, and they were really good players as freshmen. I mean, Darisaw graded out higher for, in pro football focus than any other Virginia Tech offensive lineman as a true freshman left tackle. And it was Vance Vice who recruited those guys and developed them and actually saw something in them that no other school saw. So I know people are, are jumping on, on the bandwagon now 
the with uh, Doug Nestor coming on on board and and Brian Hudson and even 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 last year with a uh, Walker Walker Culver who had a big offer list including Ohio State. Um, I think it starts as soon as he got to Virginia Tech in 2016. You know the the 2016 class was 90 percent Frank Beamers and 10 percent Justin Fuentes. Well, the 10% that was Justin Fuentes was Gerard Evans, who turned out to be really good. And then Silas uh, Janzi was in that class. And then uh, went to Fourth Union for a year and then came in and redshirted. So it really started then. It, it, it did not start this year with, with Nestor. It's, it's, it's been a process. And that's why I use the phrase, the evidence is mounting. And one thing I is it's one thing I think Coach Fuente does a good job of too in press conferences. He he shares the human element pieces to his guys and his players sometimes. That and, and he was talking about Vance Vice and I believe and I might need you to correct. He says that he has the most degrees out of any coaching uh, coach on the coaching staff. Yeah, they, and he was the valedictorian of his high school. I'm, gl- I'm glad he said that because uh, yeah, we need more human interest stuff coming out of the program. I, I think sometimes. Uh, these guys kind of seem like robots to the fan base and everything, and they're not. And Vance Vice is just about one of the most unique guys you'll ever meet. But that's part of what Fuente wants. He wants that 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 corporate, everybody's for the team kind of thing. He doesn't want to emphasize the individual. Mm-hmm. But emphasizing the individual is what helps you connect with a football player. Right. Well, he certainly, uh, he certainly did that in his press conference over this week. Yeah. I mean, he individualized Vance Vice and told us a lot about Vice that we did not know. That's great stuff. Um, Are you doing to say, hey, high school valedictorian has got more degrees than anybody on that hall is how he phrased it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. And he, even when – I remember when he was talking about Dax Hollyfield during the season and how – I believe he wants uh, his welding class in high school and how he went in there. Yeah. I mean, those are things. That's, anyways, I thought he did a great job of that. And I'll, and I'll close this with Vance Vice. I'll show our viewers on Facebook Live. This is just one of the uh, fantastic oh, pictures <laughs> put together by our lovely folks on Twitter <laughs> of Vance Vice. So let me show this to the camera here. Okay. Uh, so what account? What Twitter account is that? That was Hokey Nation, uh, and it says – if I'm an offensive lineman, Coach Vice is the guy I want to play for with about 20 exclamation points. And uh, so, yeah, and I think it's fun because so much, I think when we analyze football, it's so easy to get lost in talking about the skill positions. And, you know, offensive linemen do all the dirty work and they don't get a, enough of the credit. So I'm, I'm almost in a way glad that this recruiting class focuses so much on it because there's been so much credit rightfully deserved to I've those guys. I've been covering tech football for a long time. And, you know, I used to be on the field for scrimmages back when I was in college and I worked for VTTV. And, you know, you'd watch a regular pass scales with the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, and the defensive backs. Okay, yeah, those guys are fast and it's impressive. But when you throw the linemen on there, guys that are between 250 and 330 pounds, and they're just as fast, or not just as fast, but they're pretty darn fast for their size, and all that's going on right in front of you, it really takes it up another level. The speed of the linemen, I think, is is really the difference between small-time football and big-time football. And a little little nugget about uh, um, Hudson. Hudson is the one who wants to uh, throw for the uh, yeah, yes. track team, correct? He, uh, He's got a sister that throws for Louisville. Um, yeah. I was going through Hudson's Twitter feed, and, and he had liked some of her stuff or she had liked some of our stuff or something like that. Yeah. And and so I was just talking with this about somebody, and they said, well, then he's going to have good feet. If he's throwing the weight and he's, he's spinning and doing footwork, mm-hmm. 
So that's just another mm-hmm. thing to play into. And then they're going to start him at right tackle is what I understand, probably right tackle. And I think Nestor will start off at right guard. Um, will uh, Pritchard will start off at center, and Jesse Hansen will probably start off at left guard. That, right. That's my best guess at this point. And then you've got some youngsters at left tackle right now already in there. Right. So when you, right. add, when you add him to, to Jansey, Darasaw, uh, John uh, Walker Harris, Culver, Walker John Culver. Harris. Uh, I think Tanuta, Tanuta, Tanuta with his height, with his height, he's like six eight. He might have more potential than any of them. So, yeah. uh, but it's still a young group. So you gotta, you gotta. If fifty percent of those guys work out, then that's a, that's actually what you look for in offensive line recruiting. Yeah. If you can, if you can recruit an offensive line every two years, then you're doing well. That means you go ten deep. And one of my favorite memories of running Hokie Central slash Tech sideline is how good and deep Virginia Tech's offensive line was for the 2000 season. And that was kind of the deal was they lost everybody after 1999, except they brought back the entire offensive line for in front of Michael Vick and Lee Suggs. And I actually tracked the offensive linemen that year, and they regularly subbed, uh, they regularly played nine guys, and they had a tenth guy they would play. And I tracked snaps because they used to list the snaps in, in uh, the Hokie Huddler back then. And the guards and tackles all played, the starters played 65% of the snaps. The backups played 35%. At center, the distribution was 85 and 15. Mm. That is an offensive lineman's, offensive line coach's dream is to have 10 guys he can play that much. Now, granted, they were blowing some people out in the yeah. season, yeah. but they were also subbing these guys in, you know, at, at times when it mattered. And uh, there was definitely a lot of moving around on the offensive line this past year. So, again, as we talked about last week, it's never, it's never a bad thing to have depth at, uh, at positions. And let's do this. Sometimes we can get off track sometimes, and I will lose track of time. I want to spend about another 5 to 10 minutes on recruiting besides offensive line. We still have Tech men's basketball to get to in a fun discussion question. You look at the rest of this recruiting class. We mentioned the seven, uh, the seven four stars that are signed. A couple of other big names: uh, the Robinson, the receiver, a four star from Vir- Tavion. Uh, Tavion. Yeah, again, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Pinkney. 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 Okay. Uh, four star receiver uh, from South Carolina, uh, and then a couple of other ones: uh, Payute from Payute. Chesterfield. He Jayden went to uh, LC Bird High School. That's a that's a popular school in the 804. Those are just a couple of names that jump out to me. And, and I know last week we talked about uh, the running back that everyone's going to fall in love with next year in King. Yeah. So looking at this class as a whole besides offensive line, guys we'll be talking about next year, two years down the road, who are impact guys in this class? I I really like Kashawn King at running back. I, I think he brings an element, an explosive element that is currently not present on Virginia Tech's offense. Uh, I, I think he's a guy, He's the, if any running back on the roster, he's the most likely to make a defensive back miss and take it 70 yards for a touchdown, in my opinion. Uh, I, I think he has the best long-term potential of any running back on the roster. Uh, I think it's a really good offensive class. Um, I, I think it's very well balanced with four offensive linemen, four receivers, two running backs, a tight end. And they even got a quarterback at, at, at the end. Uh, so this is about as well-balanced an offensive class as I can remember. Um, the, the defense isn't – defensively, I'm not going to say it's not as strong because it might turn out to be as strong. You never really know. But in terms of rankings and, and things right, like that. Right, it's, it's not as strong. Now, that being said, Virginia Tech signed three four-star defensive ends that were redshirt freshmen this past year. Uh, and – 
they've over-recruited linebacker. They had a true freshman and a true sophomore starting there this past year. So when you've got so many young players stacked in the program like that, it's tough to recruit those positions in that next class. Um, I will say that I am a little disappointed in defensive back recruiting. Um, that that that's that's the one area that I think needs addressing more more than anything else. Oh, now, specifically corners. Specifically right? corner. Now now that being said, Jeremy Webb was the number one JUCO recruit in the country, and he got hurt. And uh, it was supposed to be him and Adonis Alexander starting this past year, and neither one of them could start, of course. So. Yeah, but we're talking about current recruiting. Yeah, we're talking about current recruiting. Uh, and and Brian Mitchell though has always recruited highly ranked JUCO defensive backs had two at West Virginia that were amongst the top five recruits at their position, and they both now play in the NFL. And I think Jeremy Webb was on that track before he got hurt. So we'll see. But I, I do worry about high school cornerback recruiting to a certain extent. Any name you want to throw out there? Is someone else you're really excited about besides the offensive line? Man, I, you know, there's so many of them. Uh, you, know, you talk about people making an impact. I really like the wide receiver recruits, but Tech is so deep. Um, you know, how, how much of a chance are, are guys going to have to make an impact right away? Good. Red shirt off. Man, it, <laughs> and it, but don't you agree that they're thinner at the slot than they are outside? Yes, and I therefore do. Tavion Robinson's probably the guy who has the best chance? Yeah, uh, pr- uh, yeah I think that's possible. Um, some of it depends on how Daryl Simmons has developed as an outside receiver. And if he hasn't developed as well as they hope, then Jacoby Peeney would have a chance to be get in there True. and be in the 2 deep, especially since Kuma transferred. And you yeah. got Dewan Ellis at slot as well. But, you know, Savoy transferred. Uh, I think they would prefer to play Turner on the outside. Not, maybe not necessarily that, all the time, but you, anywhere, can, you can put him in. That's why he was so impressive as a true freshman this past, past year. You could put him anywhere. But in general, yes. Uh, now the thing about – Robinson is he was a high school quarterback so how ready would he be early to, to contribute at a high level in the slot for Virginia Tech yeah. uh, so I, I would I'm a, I'd be okay with one of those receivers playing as a true freshman but I'd like to redshirt at least three of them so my concern about Kishon King is size mm-hmm. what is his listed size he's five foot 11 177 pounds he told uh, I think Jason Stame did an article on him around when he signed in December. And at that point, he said he was up to 182, and he had the workout plan, and he was following Virginia Tech's workout plan. Now, I'll tell you right now from personal experience, it's a lot different trying to follow a workout plan that you have on a piece of paper and than being in, in a weight room with a personal trainer who's pushing you. So that's a big difference. But So, yeah, I, he's, he's a smallish guy. But I think he's one of those guys. He might be listed at 182. Deshaun McLeese might be listed at 197. But Deshaun McLeese has the smallest legs I've ever seen on a football player. He does not look 197 pounds. Deshaun King looks closer to 197 than, than Deshaun McLeese. So I, I, I was surprised at his listed size. I thought he, in his highlights he looked bigger than Right, that. right, right. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, yeah, you'd like for him to be a little bit bigger. But you got to find the proper balance. You don't want to take away his explosiveness. Um, but honestly, these days, running backs don't get 20 carries a game. It just doesn't happen anymore. You're 100% right. Uh, let's do this. Uh, let's do this. We're going to step aside for a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk Virginia Tech men's basketball the week ahead. And as we recap Louisville, you're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm.
If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. And welcome back aboard the Tech Sideline Podcast. Our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm for always sponsoring our podcast here at Tech Sideline. Back with you, Evan Hughes, Chris Coleman, Will Stewart, and our awesome Facebook Live listeners have been chiming in. We've got some questions to get to. CC's got the phone out in front. Lead us off, my friend. All right. James Copeland asked, do you think VT should play to the Virginia high schools and especially 757 schools, or should VT keep looking out of state since these kids have no loyalty to the state of Virginia? I mean, I think you answered your own question. Um, I, I think these days, and I don't think it's just in Virginia, but I, th- I think there's a tendency for guys to go out of state. I think with social media these days, I think the world's a lot smaller than it used to be, and these guys have more options. I mean, Vince Hall chose Virginia Tech over North Carolina. These days, he'd be, we'd be recruiting against Clemson and Florida Penn state. state and Penn State and maybe even Ohio State for, for Vince Hall. So I think kids have more options these days. Um, but use that to your advantage. Go out of state. Give those kids more options than they used to have, and that's what Virginia Tech is doing there. I, I would answer that by saying that you still need to maintain relationships with the coaches in state. You still need to stay on top of in-state recruiting. Uh, you need to know when, when kids come up, like if you look at the top 20, the in-state top 20 in any given year, you need to know which 5 to 10 of those guys are OKGs, our kind of guy, and which 5 to 10 or 15 are not guys you want on the Virginia Tech football team. you got to know that stuff. So yeah, and yet, and one of the things people used to say about the the old Virginia Tech recruiting staff staff guys like Brian Steinspring and, and Jim Cavanaugh is coaches would say, I don't know, I'm sitting there, I got I got nobody who's going to play college football next year, and they come visit me anyway. They stop in, they say hi, and they say, you know, tell me about your younger kids, how's how's the family doing, all that kind of stuff. You've got to do that kind of stuff and keep doing that kind of stuff is how I would put my answer. So let's football questions right now and then later and we'll turn around and answer the basketball questions uh what's the latest on josh jackson i have no idea um i think florida state's interested interested maryland's interested but i don't know where he'll end up i, I haven't asked anybody i mean when these guys transfer i i'm like okay See ya. And I kind of stopped. Paying attention. Coach Fuente had a lot of nice things to say about he him did. at the press conference on wednesday i think he it's did. the last kind of news we have on him what is TSL's take on disgruntled players' tweets. <laughs> uh, well, I'll say this. What are you going to do? Uh, well, yeah, what are you going to do uh, at this point? I mean, you can't answer them publicly. I will say this, though. I mean, Trevon Hill feels like he was treated fairly. I, uh, or, excuse me, unfairly. I have a different take on that. I mean, he was dismissed from the football team in September and then kept on scholarship for the spring, for the spring semester. Through the spring. Which I don't think very many other schools would do. Uh, I mean, despite the fact that he was kicked off the football team, despite the fact that he drug Fuente's name through the mud uh, a, a month or two ago. Saying, they, it, saying in a Richmond Times-Dispatch article, I lost all respect for right. that guy. Fuente kept him on scholarship this semester so he could graduate and go play somewhere else. And didn't even – did he discuss him the other day? Uh, no, he no, did not. Okay. Uh, so, and he's not going to. 
And he's going but, to Miami. But, is that official now? That yeah, he's, he's going uh, to Miami. Now, now yeah. I, I read about this. He, he signed a financial aid agreement, an FAA. And the article that I read said that that is not binding, that he could sign FAAs with other schools. And Trayvon has also not even visited Miami. <laughs> well, what, okay. what this article said. It was a 24-7 sports article. Okay. So, yes, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have any sympathy. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. OxVT says we've come a long way since Kurt Newsom. He's not wrong. Hey, I know a guy who played for Kurt Newsom at Emory and Henry. Loved him. I know a guy. Uh, Sergio Render told me that he loved Kurt Newsom. <laughs> uh, uh, now, I need to get off my butt. I think Sergio helped out Radford High School's football team this year. I think he was one of their coaches. Oh. So why haven't I driven three miles to interview that? Yeah, guy? well, so. he's a he's an interesting guy. He's actually a little bit similar to Nestor. Uh, I don't think Nestor is as big in the hunting and fishing as Sergio, but Sergio was committed to Florida State. Back when Florida State was a big deal. Yeah. And he flipped from Florida State to Virginia Tech because he liked the hunting and fishing around Blacksburg well, better than uh, Tallahassee. That'll that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. That is true. It is better here than it is he's there. He's not wrong. Uh, let's see. You mentioned wide receivers wanting to come to VT, and maybe that's because of the offense. Uh, one of the things Kuma said why he left was because he didn't like the offense. Sounds he, legit he or just something he's saying. I don't, remember, I don't remember him saying that. I, I don't know what Eric Kuma's issue is. 42 catches, 500-some yards, seven touchdowns, second-leading receiver I, I don't, on the team. I, so I, I didn't read that he said that. Yeah, I, um, I did not either. From, from everything I've heard about Kuma, he just doesn't like Fuente. Yeah, that, just, that's the only reason he's From right. the get-go, just didn't, from the, didn't like being in the program. Right. Um, from, from what we were told from a source is Fuente and Kuma had a disagreement on – I'm not going to use the term work ethic, but uh, Fuente wanted more out of him. And and Kuma... Thought he was giving enough? Thought he was giving enough, I guess. And no, and no, But Kuma eventually turned into a very good player for Tech. So, And I think part of that is because getting pushed by a coaching staff, right? So uh, I think that... I think, I think Fuente personally is, is getting cast in a bad light here and and, I, and I, I disagree with it. And I, I saw a tweet the other day. I don't remember who retweeted it, but it was someone saying, you know, young football players, if a coach is riding you and, and, and yelling at you every day in practice, it's for the following reasons. Number one, he sees a lot of potential in you. Number two, he believes in you. Number three, he knows your path to getting better. Um, those kind of things. And I, I'll admit, I wanted to just kind of reply and say, you know, at Eric Kuma, you know. Oh, right. And, and so, uh, yeah. But you, you don't, we don't know the dynamics of what went on between, you know, our, the coaching staff and Eric Kuma. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to read that one, but it's funny. <laughs> uh, okay, do you want to do basketball questions now or do you want to wait? Let's do them at the end. We're okay. going to do basketball right. talk here for about – here's how we'll wrap. We're going to do basketball for about ten minutes or so. We're going to do a quick recap of uh, – or a highlight of spring sports coming up, and then uh, we'll get to questions, and then it'll be just right about an hour. So, uh, again, thanks so much for listening. Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Fisher Law Firm. Thanks for watching on Facebook. Thanks for listening to our podcast on SoundCloud or Apple Podcast. Evan Hughes, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman transitioning to basketball. Where Again, we're recording this on Friday, so the NC State game's well in the past. The Louisville game's pretty much well in the past. But if we give kind of our... Overall highlights from the Louisville game, what was your biggest takeaway from that game, starting with Will? 
My biggest takeaway, and, and I think this is common knowledge at this point, it's been talked about uh, on the message board and in articles, is that Buzz said, you know, Justin Robinson got hurt on a Wednesday at Miami. That's um, right. They got home at Thursday at 2 a.m. I don't know that they even practiced that Thursday. They probably did a light walkthrough with some film, if, it, if at most. Traveled on Friday to NC State, played NC State on Saturday, came home, didn't even practice on Sunday, and then did their regular stuff on Monday, walkthrough type stuff, and played Louisville Monday night. That tells you they haven't had time to adjust to Justin Robinson's absence. Um, and when you take that into consideration, it's really remarkable how well they've been doing. Um, 47 against NC State, it was not a thing of beauty. Uh, another, what they score against Louisville? 64? Yeah. 17 points more. And they were rough in the first half, but they were getting open shots and missing them. And then they looked better in the second half. That's pretty darn good for a team that, that really hasn't been able to adjust to the loss of their point guard. Yeah. Um, so that was Monday night, and they have had all week long to figure out what they want to do, how they want to run the offense um, in preparation for Clemson on Saturday. Yeah, one day of practice, one hour of practice. And keep in mind that they can't practice five on five. They don't have enough players. Yeah. So uh, so it's I, tough. You're, you're yes. doing – you're, you're, you know. They basically had to play two games with a brand-new offense with every player in at least a little bit of a different role. In the case of Alexander Walker, a much different role. Uh, and they, they had to play two games without practicing it. They went one and one in those two games against ranked teams. I, sign me up for that. Yep. And um, if they'd made more shots in the beginning of the Louisville game, who knows how that one would have gone. So how, how – you know – with them having a full week of preparation, from what we saw Monday to what we're going to see on Saturday against Clemson, what do you expect differently from I, the offense? I really don't know. I haven't had a chance to look at Clemson, to be honest with you. I've been editing articles and writing Q&As today. My Clemson preview is going to be researched and written later this afternoon. <laughs> but uh, I do know that Clemson's a tough place to play, and they're not a great team this year, but they're, they're a quadrant one win or a potential quadrant one win on the road so it's going to be a difficult game in my opinion i i watched a little bit of their game the other night i think it was against georgia tech and you know if it was georgia tech that's hard to evaluate because georgia well, tech's an excellent defensive team and they're there. awful on offense oh they scored 42 points or something like that i, th I think clemson beat him 62 42 uh clemson's got a guy inside i think his name is eli thomas if i remember correctly who you know anytime you see a, a up. He's fairly skilled. You know, he's not a Duke or UNC guy. He's a good, good basketball player, and you worry about him and, and what he might do to get uh, Kerry Blackshear in foul trouble. Well, with what Virginia Tech has been excellent this year is they hadn't let anybody throw the ball inside. Yeah, and, that's a good point. And, and I think people say, oh, teams make a lot of three-pointers on, on Virginia Tech. You know, and that, that goes both ways. Yeah, you know, Louisville got hot from, from the outside, but over 50% of NCAA, NC State's attempts came from the outside. And if you have an off-shooting day, that's what's gonna then you're not going to score very many points against Virginia Tech because almost all most of your shots are coming from the outside and you can't get the ball in the paint at all. So the, the Louisville-Virginia Tech in the paint scoring was 20-20. to 20. And, uh, you know, I've run the numbers. Virginia Tech's outscored their opponents in the paint something like so – By about 200 points. Yeah, 650 to 430 or 440 or something like that. Um, and that that's how Buzz coaches basketball. So it's destroyed the myth that you need a big team to be effective in the paint. And you don't in the modern era of basketball. I, I mean, I know when I was growing up, it was very cut and dry. You had a point guard who was like 6'3", 
And then you had a shooting guard who was 6'5". Right. And then you had a small forward who was 6'7". And you had a power forward who was 6'9". Six, six, and you nine. had a center who was 6'11 or 7 feet. At every other school other at, than Virginia Tech, your center was 7 feet every, tall. Yeah, right, exactly. But yeah. it was pretty cut and dried throughout all levels of basketball what your teams looked like. And it's not that way anymore. anymore. It, that, that's completely changed. You can absolutely be a good team in the paint even if you're small these days. Um, if, you, if you use your quickness to get around screens and just really prevent teams from throwing the ball in there, I, you, you can be an excellent defensive team. And Virginia Tech has been you, – you would look at their height and say there's no way that team could stop anybody in the post, yet they are. They do. Um, they're fourth in the ACC in conference games in preventing offensive rebounds. So Off- you, Offensive rebounding percentage uh, by offense, the opposition? Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so – you would think that wouldn't happen with a small team. It's happened with a small team. Um, yeah. I'm not saying that size doesn't matter in basketball, but I, I think these days it's a little bit overrated. Um, I, I think you can turn on and watch Golden State play in the NBA and say it's a, it's, it's a little bit overrated. So so going into Clemson game Saturday, um, I'm going to be watching what is Buzz doing on offense. Um, this is the one game where they get to roll out something – knew that the opposition will not have seen on film and probably won't be ready for it. That's my thinking. You know, we'll see. Um, so I'm I'm really hoping Tech steals a road win just by uh, doing something for the first time. And uh, I, th- I thought Clemson was solid. Um, you know, I, the, they didn't stand out to me in any particular way. So we'll see. I, mean, yeah, I, I see it as a game that could go either way. I, I agree. And I'm also excited, though, because I think Buzz just does he, – he's, he's a mastermind. He is just – when I think of Buzz, a word that comes to mind is he's creative. And he's an innovator, and he thinks outside the box. So I'm I'm really excited to see what he draws up. Because you're right, we have not with their schedule last week. They have had no time except for maybe on the bus or a light walk through before the little. It's just be, they, hey, you should they, do this. They stopped at a YMCA in Winston Salem to practice on the way to Raleigh last. Is that week. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was in the Tech Talk Live notes from man from this week. Yeah. So here's what I do want to because you know he was asked this after the North Carolina State game. He did not like this question, and I want to word this in a. <laughs> correct way but listen when you look at the ACC I, I always say this, every win matters you can never take a game off in the ACC but you look at the next three games it is not Duke it is not Virginia it's not Louisville it's not North Carolina it's not one of the top teams in the league at Clemson Georgia Tech at home at Pitt next Saturday in this next three game stretch what are your expectations for this team with likely no Justin Robinson or no PJ Horn all right, so at Clemson, home against Georgia Tech, and at Pitt. It's unfair to expect this team to win three games in a row with their depth. Um, I'm not going to say I'd be happy with one and two. I'd be, I'd, be happy happy with, I'd be happy with two. I'd certainly be happy with two. I expect them to go one and two, but I would be very happy with two and one. So where are you expecting that win? I would be ecstatic. I don't know where. Uh, I got a feeling they're going to lose at Pitt. I don't know why. It's um, pit. It's not, a pit thing. Hardly anything good ever happens to Virginia Tech in the city of Pitt. Yeah, you ask me who, who are the five, <laughs> best, five best football players I've ever seen in person, and I want to jokingly say, well, Larry Fitzgerald's one up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, uh, it would have to be the next two for me. So you would you would be happy if they go two and one. You guys would oh, be I'd happy. Oh, I'd be ecstatic. Well, I'd be ecstatic with three and oh. I'd be very happy with two and one. <laughs> yes. I expect one and two. Okay. 
All right, there you have it there for the next uh, next three games. Again, at Clemson on Saturday at noon, home back at Castle on February 13th. That's on Wednesday. It's an 8 o'clock tip. And then at Pittsburgh on Saturday, which leads after the at, at the Pittsburgh game into Virginia on Big Monday. I, I, hate, I hate that we're going to play Virginia without, without Justin, Justin Robinson, most likely, and probably Duke without Justin Robinson. So the, game that ever, the games that everybody wants to come to, the games that are sold out, Stand, I'm not going to say they have no chance. They're going to with one hand tied behind their back. Yeah, they're, they're, they're extremely unlikely to, to win those games. And just to keep in mind, because I think some people have been asking on the board, you know, again, he is still ruled out indefinitely. He's still, we, correct? We don't know anything new about P.J. Horner. I keep hearing four weeks, 30 days is what we've heard. Talking and about I, Robinson I, or Horner? Oh, oh Robinson. Robinson. Uh, from time of injury. Well, you said Buzz kind of let it slip the other night. He said a month. Yeah, he, he said, said for he the said, next month. This is what we're going to have to do for the next month when, when it asked about the <laughs> offense without Justin Robinson. So, uh, yeah. Okay. So and then, and, the, and that, we did have somebody on our message board, and this is why you should subscribe. One of the many reasons you should subscribe for eight eight forty nine a month or eighty four ninety nine a year. We didn't say it at the end. There we go. Somebody came on our ba- on our basketball board and said, "I was at the hospital when Justin Robinson came in," and this person described the injury and said thirty days. People don't make stuff like that up. Yeah, and then and then Buzz says, "What we got to do for the next month?" You know, right? And if uh, if that's from the time of injury, then he could like he could come back with three regular season games left. I did the math on that. Mm, uh, two, I think. No, three. If it was from time of injury, I did. I did. You four think he'll weeks. make it back on February twenty sixth? Maybe. I'm not, I'm not saying that he will. Uh, I, I'm saying that uh, that would be. All right. So he injured at what day? Uh, let's see. The Miami. Miami game. was the. Th- 30th of uh, January. All right, so this February 6th was one week. The 13th is two weeks. The 20th. Yeah, 27th of February would be 28 days. Okay. Uh, so yeah. probably not. All right, so that would leave us with we have a schedule on our wall. That's why we're staring. All you at the Facebook Livers, that's why we're staring at the wall. <laughs> uh, keep that, on, that would leave him at, uh, that, that at would, Florida, Florida State, State and, and Miami. Miami so, at two. Home. so, two, you're right. Um, so, at least it's looking like to me that he'll get to play on his senior day. Which yeah, is obviously good. very good. good. Yeah. Um, I, I forgot the question. No, that's <laughs> all right. the, the last three games of the year, I'll leave it with this. Number two, Duke on February 26th at home at number 22, Florida State. And then home against Miami before the, uh, the ACC tournament in Charlotte begins on March the 12th. Let's get those questions in yeah, quickly. Sure. All right. Um, basketball, can, can Tech keep running uh, Alexander Walker at the point and be successful? It is hindering his overall performance. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think you can be successful to a certain extent as long as Virginia Tech keeps playing defense. Do they have as high a ceiling as, as they did before? Absolutely not, and that's a frustrating thing about this. Well, the, the other thing is I don't think people are talking about is I think you have to run Alexander at the point. It makes Beattie more productive if he's playing, Yeah, he's in my opinion. You know, he's built like a point guard. He was listed as a point guard coming out of high school. He can bring the ball up the court and everything like that. But at this point – I don't think he's assertive enough coming off screens when he's got a chance to go downhill and get to the basket. Which is funny because he's a pretty good athlete. He can get yeah, he is. There. He's a strong yeah, guy. Strong guy. Um, yeah, so he's got he, – That's. I don't know if that's something that, that he can improve on in the middle of the season when you're bit busy preparing for games or if that's an off-season thing. But that will be the thing he has to work on. Uh, Tech has they just got to keep playing defense, and they've got they to protect the basketball. Um, now, the thing is they're not going to have as many turnovers now with Robinson out. Because they don't run the they, ball. They, they, they don't run it as, as a fast a pace. It's much more methodical. So it's all about turnover rate 
Yeah, they didn't have that many turnovers against Louisville, but for the amount of possessions in that game, the percentage was pretty yeah, that's high. That's a good point. Uh, so so they, they've got to they've got to do a better job. And when they only had three turnovers in the second half to, against NC State, that's ideal. You can win like that and play and play good defense and still win without. Yeah, Justin it, it was actually and somebody on the basketball message board pointed this out to me. A guy who I think coaches. Uh, Virginia Tech had nine turnovers in the first 17 minutes against NC State and then three in the last 23 minutes. Right. And a guy said, well, that's because they quit trying to take it to the basket. If you watch that NC State game, they were trying to drive inside. And you haven't seen much of that at all since yeah. then. So we'll see what Buzz does against Clemson. Any word on P.J. Horn? Will he be back on the court? I mean, I've heard he's going to come back at some point this season. Uh, and I've well, what's his injury? Do we know? Something with his knee. Okay. I've heard meniscus. Uh, uh, who knows? Um, One of those knee words. Yeah, yeah. it's not his fifth metatarsal. Lateral meniscus, you know. Something I don't even know if it exists. They could completely Interior cruciate. This is where I wish. (laughs) Um, At least it's not a metatarsal. From what I understand, he'll be back at some point. My guess is two weeks or so, maybe three. I I don't know. I think he'll be back before Robinson. Um, That's just a guess, though, because like like Robinson, Buzz says indefinitely. So – Whatever that means. Uh, let's see. How does Nall play in the point affect his draft status? Uh, doesn't. Um, uh, there were a bunch of NBA scouts at the Louisville game on Monday night, and they were there to see Alexander Walker. And uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who uh, talked to one of the scouts before the game, and, and the scout says – it's like I love him. I think he's a mid-first round pick. We know he can score, but what what I really like about him is that he's willing to pass. You know, most guys that can score like him at his age, they're not into sharing the basketball like he is. Kind of like Carson Edwards, right? So, <laughs> yes, exactly. One of yeah, them, Carson yeah. shot to produce detriment. I thought. Yes, he, he did. When we and when he's on, that's a good thing. But when he's not, it's a bad thing. And Alexander Walker is a really good player who plays within the offense and. I don't think this isn't going to affect him at all, in my opinion. If I was a scout and I was watching him now, I'd be watching. You know, he's asked, he's being asked to do different things. How does he do them? But I'd also watch his demeanor and his leadership. He's just a sophomore, but he's displayed leadership qualities this year. I think, you know, I haven't stared at him and evaluated this, but I do have the feeling that he's communicating well, even though they didn't really know what they were doing in the last two games. Um, I think he's being vocal. He's trying to get guys together. I don't see frustration, yeah. even though he has every right to be frustrated. Um, so those are the things I'd be looking for if I was a scout. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, I really like Alexander Walker. Uh, I like his demeanor mm-hmm. um, just from covering all of Virginia Tech's basketball games. You know, they sit us in there in a player's lounge with these players to interview them after the game, and especially in a non-conference game when there's not that many people there. I mean, I've been to games where it's just been two or three of us to interview players, so it's a very laid-back setting. Yeah, when he says not many people, he's talking media members. He's talking about media members. And uh, I really like his demeanor, um, and he's a really smart guy. And you're going to read all these scouting reports on him, and all of them are talking about his shot and his strength and his handle and blah, blah, blah. But none of them mention his intelligence level, which I think is extremely high. I completely agree um, with you on that. By yeah. the way, he came on Tech Talk Live last week. He is just – he he gives well, great answers. He th- and he, he's he th- thorough. Th- and he, he, he thinks at a, at a different level than most guys his age. He, 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 he can – 
go in depth more than most guys his age. I think he thinks a little bit deeper than most guys his age. When he go when he shows up to work, i.e. practice every day, he shows up with a plan. He knows exactly what he's going to do that day. Uh, and and I don't think a lot of guys his age have that. I, I certainly did not. I wasn't anywhere close to that. So that's something that is not on his online scouting reports, but that real NBA scouts will will take advantage of. And I, uh, I, I met with an NBA scout back before the season, uh, and we talked about him. And one of the things he talked about was the intelligence level. So that's, that's not something you see that's getting mentioned a lot. But uh, for everything I understand, that guy's a definite first-round pick. And he'd be leaving a lot of money on the table. So enjoy it. Yeah, the so last few games right. you get to see. Him and play. and I, I wish the frustrating to me, frustrating thing to me personally is is somebody who used to go to Tech basketball games when there were two thousand people there every game. I feel like I, I have a lot of ownership in the program because I was a fan when ever nobody else, quite frankly, was watching. When when Ricky Stokes was coaching yeah. in the A ten. So I've. This, is the, this, this team has the highest ceiling of any team my entire life, or it had the highest ceiling. I'm, and then Justin Robertson gets hurt. I'm 30, you subtract, well, you subtract Chris Clark for the season. Right, right, exactly. And I'm 36 years old. Am I going to have to wait another 36 years? Yeah. I'll be 72, man. That's why this is very, very frustrating, what's happened to Justin Robertson. Yeah. Extremely frustrating. Uh, is Med the streakiest shooter in recent memory at Tech? Maybe. Uh, A.D. Visayo might challenge him for that. <laughs> um, uh, AD, it always seemed like if he made his first shot, he was going to have a really good game, and if he missed his first shot, he wasn't going to have a great game. That's the way I remember AD. I, the the odd thing about Med is he's such a good athlete, and he's he's he does so much. Uh, I wouldn't even call it jump shooting; it's like set shooting. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with that. I, I just wonder, you know, why he went in that direction, and uh, because you see you see him do some athletic stuff. He's a fun, phenomenal athlete. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, people were always like, oh, we need to get Devin Wilson to play football because he played football in high school. Uh, get, if you want anybody to play football and wide receiver, Ed she'd be Ahmed Hill because that dude can go up and get the ball, I guarantee you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I really like Med, too. I think he's a good good cultural fit. Do you think Anthony Harris is as good as Justin Robinson was coming in his freshman year or better, hoping he can play right away, of course? I Now, that that's a recruit that's signed for 2019. Yes, yeah, He'll be here yeah, next year. That, that's correct. Uh, top 100 player. You know, basketball, you can watch these two-minute highlight clips of them online, but these guys play hundreds of hours of basketball per year, and you can't get anything out of a two-minute clip. And unless you go see them in person multiple times, uh, you don't know. If you just look at pure recruiting rankings, yes, he'll be a better player than Justin Robinson. When you consider how good Justin Robinson has been on the on the basketball court for Virginia Tech, when you consider that he is Virginia Tech's all-time leading assists man, no, I don't think I don't think Anthony Harris will be as good. I mean, that that'd be a very we don't what we, well, we hope. Um, and I'm not saying he's not going to be good, um, but I don't think you could have that expectation because Justin Robinson is a elite player by Virginia Tech standards, in my opinion, if you look, look throughout the history of Virginia Tech basketball. Anthony Harris will play right away. Hardly anybody red shirts in basketball these days, but the problem is he tore his ACL. He's missed his senior year. So physically he'll probably be okay, but he's missed a Yeah, he's right, missed another, a year of development. Another year of basketball. Basically. Um, do you guys uh, – here's a, here's a question I'll ask the group. Um, We're at an hour, by the way. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is quick. Go ahead. Should Justin Robinson's number be retired? 
Who are the players and, uh, to Bim- run through this? Bimbo Coles, Del Curry, Alan Bristow, and Ace Custis. Uh, and well, you don't remember a single one of them, Evan. Bimbo and Dell, <laughs> absolutely. Um, yes. Ace, I, I've always thought that Ace's number was retired because the, the Bill Foster era was a resurrection of basketball to some extent, and mm-hmm. Ace was the centerpiece of that. Yes. Uh, when you go look at Ace, now everybody loved Ace. Ace was a, we all loved Ace, but Ace's numbers – Weren't that outstanding? They weren't, but he also played in Bill Foster's offense, which limited him. Well, yeah. it, it, here's one guy I really don't know anything about, and as someone who you know follows Virginia Tech, uh, Alan Bristow, I, I have no, no idea. Well, you know, Bristow holds a score, a single game scoring record. Bimbo Cole scored 51 once. Well, I think Bristow holds it with 52. Br- so Brist- Bristow was a Bristow ball. won the won the NIT attack back when the NIT meant something. Yeah, and uh, and, and, and Bristow's Bristow's number was retired after Aces. Now, as a young guy, as a young guy, you guys may not know that. When Ace's number was retired, there was a little bit of grumbling about, whoa, you didn't retire Bristow's number, but you retired Ace's, and Bristow's was retired shortly after that. Um, so I, Bristow was the head coach of the Hornets when Del Curry was a player for the Hornets. Wow. Yeah. I didn't even know Bristow went – okay. Yeah, so, he was an NBA so He's an accomplished guy. He was yeah, an NBA he's very general manager. So, yeah, yeah. He's, he was an outstanding basketball guy. So let's let's put this into perspective. Nobody has had their number retired playing-wise since the mid-1990s. Uh, yeah, yep. and Clark Rulin's right here. Tech has interesting rules when it comes to number retirement. Players have to win a national award to be considered – well, ah. I, I think they. I didn't to, know that. I think I, yes, I, I knew that, but I, I think they need to take it on a case by case basis. Um, I think Justin Robinson broke the assist record of Bimbo Coles, whose number is retired. Yeah, uh, and it's similar to an ace thing. I mean, to me, this is the resurrection of Virginia Tech basketball. Retiring Justin Robinson's jer- uh, jersey number would honor not only him. But it would honor everybody who's been involved in this turnaround process. It would that honor Buzz Williams. That was the reasoning with Ace. It would it would honor Ahmed Hill. It would honor Zach Liday, uh, Seth Allen, Will Johnston. I mean, anybody who's meant anything to the rebuilding process. That's what retiring his jersey would mean to me. All right, so let me let me th- let me play devil's advocate and throw this back at you. Let's say Nikhil Alexander Walker goes pro and becomes a two years star nope. in. Got to be a four year guy. Even if he becomes a star in the NBA, we would not retire Nikhil Alexander. Uh, well, think, of, think about it. I, I, I'm I, saying that Nikhil Alexander, he goes and wins championships. He's an everyday starter. We're talking 10, 15 years down the road, uh-huh. and people really realize the best NBA players were Dell and Nikhil and Bimbo. Right. One day I, down the road. I think that story's still being written. If you ask me right now, I'd say no. But what if Virginia Tech gets Justin Robinson back on uh, March 1st? What if they go to the Final and, Four? And what if they shoot their way into the Final Four and the Kill Alexander has a few 25-point games in the NCAA tournament? You might get me on board for that. Um, or how do you view Justin Robinson's career if Virginia Tech goes all the way to the Final Right, right, something like that. Yeah, I'm not saying that we are, that we should, or anything like that. I, I don't know, but we have, we, have to let the, we have to finish the book before we can review it, right? Uh, uh, so I, I think we've got to wait a little while before deciding that. But I, I do still think that if Robinson can get back healthy and he can get back, he has time to get back in a, in a groove, then this team can go very far. I'm just disappointed that I, I thought they could have been a number three seed possibly, and I don't think it's going to end up that way, unfortunately. Well, very very interesting, and I think that's something we can maybe discuss uh, next week a little bit more in depth. But definitely interesting. Thanks to Clark Ruland for dropping that note because that's interesting. You have to win 
uh, a national award uh, to be considered to be uh, or, or to be eligible into the Hall of Fame. So let's do this. I want to close with this. Uh, there's a lot of great uh, content on TechSideline.com. I want to shout out my buddy Jake Lyman. He's got a great in-depth look at the Virginia Tech lacrosse team who opens up their season on Saturday against Bucknell. Hokies ranked number 11 in the inside lacrosse poll. Uh, they return seven of their nine top points scores from last year. Do, this you, is do, be... do you think they're underranked? Should they be ranked higher? Well, I mean, there are a lot of – I think 11 is right about anywhere from the 8 not, to 12. Not knowing anything about any other team, I have no idea. The season will yeah. tell the tale. Yeah. You know, the ACC is well-ranked, though, and in the, in, in the ACC is the best – one of the best lacrosse conferences. The Pac-12's got some great teams out there, uh, but the ACC's got Boston College, who ended up losing to James Madison in the national in the championship. Final. North Carolina, Duke, Syracuse, and Notre Dame are two legendary women's lacrosse well, Syracuse programs. Syracuse is a long-time uh, – outstanding lacrosse program men's and women's absolutely so i i I think actually for tech coming off this one year i think 11 uh i think it's a great ranking though regardless for this team and uh they'll be they'll be playing bucknell tomorrow and then they welcome in james madison next wednesday the defending national champs where are they they playing bucknell they're uh, in the beamer lawson man i gotta get a photographer out there i didn't think about that they'll move to thompson field when the uh when it gets a little bit warmer in march but they play in the beamer barn it's a little bit warmer in march yeah right (laughs) the only picture we have a John Sung or Chunky John Sung. We don't have any uh, thinner John Sung Yeah, he's used to, well, Plus, we need some pictures of the players. Well, he's done a great job. And I also want to shout out uh, Pete Demore, first-year head coach with Virginia Tech, a new era softball, uh, with a softball program. Uh, he won his first game today against Wichita State, 11-3. Slaughter rule uh, in five innings. Wichita State was an NCAA uh, regional tournament team a year ago. They were receiving votes to begin the year. So 11-3, that's a big start for a team that lost 11-1 run games a year ago in softball, 23. <laughs> And thirty, this could be a really big year in black solution to losing by one is by winning by eight. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. It all evens out in the end. But we've got a lot of great content on TechSideline.com. We've got a Q&A coming up uh, this, afternoon. this afternoon. Lots of great content, and I'm sure we'll have the guys tweeting during the Clemson uh, game on Saturday for uh, Hokie Hoops. And the wrestlers are at UNC tonight, and, and I put up a brief wrestling piece today. Um, you know, we're following through the dual meets now, but they're, they're really preparing for the ACC tournament championship, which is going to be in uh, – Blacksburg on March 9th um, in Castle Coliseum. And, you know, I, 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 the, the championship was at UNC last year, I believe, and attendance wasn't all that great. Um, it was at uh, NC State, I think, the year before that. It was NC State last year. So it's the other way around. Yes. Okay. I, I've looked through so many old uh, things that I, I can't well, the get the attendance straight. still wasn't good at NC State last year relative to No, it really wasn't all that great. Yeah. Um, Tech has had single – meet uh, attendance that's better than what was for the ACC championship last year. So um, circle, circle, mark your calendars for that one. It's it's an all-day event in Castle Coliseum, March 9th, Saturday, March 9th. And tickets, I think, are $10. That's it. Um, so should be good stuff. But anyway, they're wrestling at UNC tonight. Who's ranked? Yeah, uh, Virginia Tech is ranked 11th. UNC is ranked 16th, I believe. Then Tech will wrestle Cornell and UVA at home next weekend. Then NC State, the big one at home the weekend after that. Yeah, they're but really starting to get home, so definitely uh, get ready to come finally, out. Finally, yep. you know. So anyway, watch. watch. We'll, we'll continue doing articles on Tech Sideline to help you track that. Well, that's going to do it for this week's podcast. A lot of great content. Thanks to Will. Thanks to Chris. Thanks for all of our watchers, uh, people viewing on Facebook for your questions. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline podcast, proudly presented by the official law firm.